A quick content warning before we get into today's show. This episode discusses the realities of mental illness and the difficult emotions that often come with it. If you feel like you're struggling, we've linked to some good mental health resources in our show notes. And if you find yourself in a crisis, you can always call the 988 National Crisis Hotline for someone to talk to. Stay safe and enjoy the show. Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. Okay, so imagine this. You're feeling guilty because you're not eating healthy enough because you're too busy. But if you take more time to research healthy recipes and buy all the ingredients and food prep and buy all the equipment for the food prep and the containers, then you feel like you'll be even more busy and then you'll end up eating worse food because you're too busy and you're just hungry. It's a really difficult cycle. Or how about this? You know that your car needs some minor repair work, but you think well, I don't have the money for it right now to get it taken care of. But if you wait to get those repairs taken, then the car repair will only get worse. And the time to schedule out an appointment to get the car fixed will just be looming over your head. It's one more thing to do. And now you really can't afford it. And now you're even more stressed out. Or finally, you may recognize this, you're feeling overwhelmed just with life in general. Too many expenses, not enough money, there's never enough time, there's too much to do, and it feels like no matter how many plates you're spinning, one is always crashing to the ground. And you can tell that your mental health is struggling and it's starting to make everyday life more difficult. There's more anxiety around it. But it seems like the only way to strengthen your mental health is either to spend money on a therapist, which would also take time, or to take time off to go on a vacation. But all of the preparation to getting your work done and getting the kids all figured out and being able to prep or even just like pack and plan the vacation stresses you out because it's just giving you more things to do when it's also giving you less time and spending more money that you may or may not have, which adds to your stress. And it all makes your stress worse because now you would be spending even more time and money that you already didn't have enough of. And so your mental health is just getting worse because it just doesn't seem worth it. Like it's too much time to take a break when a break is what you need. This kind of downward spiral is one that can pop up in a lot of different areas of your life. Those are only just a few examples, but when it comes to our mental health and mental illness, it can have serious consequences if we keep pushing it off or pushing it down and we don't find a way really to solve it. I'm joined by my producer, McKay, to talk about his experience. Hi, McKay. Hello. How's it going? So, tell me about this cycle. What does it feel like for you? Um, yeah, so this is a cycle that I feel like I have been in it to some degree or another for years now with mental health. I mean, the ups and downs of mental health, I guess everyone has felt. But it, in its worst moments, is pretty devastating. Um because like on the surface, life looks normal. I mean, everyone has money troubles to some extent. Or, um, but when you, you kind of get in that cycle where you know that you're not doing well, but the resources required to make yourself feel better would make all the things making you feel worse, worse, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Um, it's so hard. It's, it's, it's being wedged into a corner emotionally. Um, and I mean, I don't have kids, but I, I'm married. And it, it's so hard because I, there are certain things that in a relationship you depend on each other for. And it, it's so difficult to feel like 
you're just in this impossible corner in which those things that someone's depending on you on emotionally, financially, you know, physically, like you can't do. And the only way to be able to, you know, become capable of doing those things um, would also somehow make it worse and kind of cycle back around. So Ooh. I know I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of <laughs> smiling as we talk because I have to laugh about it because it's life. I know. But it's, it's, it's heavy stuff. It's not, it's hard. Does something usually trigger it? How does it start? I wrote this question and now I'm like, oh, how would I answer this question? I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good question. And I, I am very curious. Um, you know, I think that there are there are days in life when there's a clear trigger, right? A bill comes that you weren't expecting or, you know, a card declines that I didn't realize, you know, was I thought I was keeping track of or, you know, I mean, money aside, you know, some emotional conversation happens that you thought you were on stable ground with and you're not doing well. Some days it's like, okay, I'm in this hard place and I know what caused it. But I would say most of the time it's it's not so clear. Um, it, it's kind of like a slow accumulation of those little bits and pieces of life that kind of nag at you. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would imagine everyone listening kind of knows what those little things are, you know. But yeah, most of the time it's, it's you kind of, I think I, I kind of get to this place, it's almost like I've been slowly climbing this hill that I didn't realize I was climbing of just accumulating just like baggage underneath me, um, parts of life that are just kind of weighing me down. And then you turn around and realize that you're like way further from where you want to be than you realized. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, it feels so diminutive, but it's just hard. It's just like, there's not a lot of other ways to say it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, caught between a rock and a hard place is, is kind of the most cliche way to say it, but it just feels like there's nowhere to go. McKay's experience isn't everyone's experience, but we all have our different mental health challenges as we're trying to take care of ourselves. For me, I've had five children. So, and this is how it kind of went down. I would be pregnant and they all went well. I mean, I think under the best of circumstances, pregnancy is just hard. I mean, not for everyone, but I actually really do think for everyone, I would really blow up and not just in weight, I retained water, right? So I couldn't wear my shoes, my nose would get bigger. Like it was a whole thing. I just always felt really puffy and enough that like people would notice and comment on it. It was real fun. It's really fun when people comment on your appearance when you're pregnant or anytime actually. And and I got a sciatica, that pain that shoots down your back, down, um, my leg on my left side. And so I was really uncomfortable even if I was laying down. Now, you know, poor me, whatever. I know a lot of people are uncomfortable during pregnancy, but those are sort of the details for it. Like it was just to be expected, right? And and I loved having babies, um, but I'm not going to say, oh yeah, and it was just great and perfect. But it was totally worth it, of course, because I love the babies, you know, and I love having newborns and it's just a beautiful time. And with my first, um, I just cried all of the time <laughs> after I had my son. And it's, re- I-, I know I'm laughing and it's not funny, but it's funny thinking about it. I just thought my heart would burst because I loved this baby so much. And I would cry and cry, but I'm a crier, right? So I've never been, you know, a mom before and I and I didn't know it would feel like that. And so I thought it was normal because it was just 
my experience, all the crying, right? And I had these waves of emotion really come over me and I thought it was normal because I'd never, you know, again, been a mom and I was learning something new as well. And anytime you learn something new or enter a new phase in your life, it's uncomfortable, it's overwhelming, you know, and all those emotions and the time and the love, the tiredness, the tenderness, the learning curve, it was an emotional time. But one day, (laughs) when my oldest was about nine months, I remember waking up and honestly feeling different. It was noticeable. I felt like a fog had been lifted and I had a little bit more energy. And I wondered, because the difference was so noticeable, if it was because we were both sleeping better or if I was just catching up from giving birth, I didn't know, but I did make a note of it mentally. And then I had my second baby and I was totally in love and all the feelings and having two, are you kidding me? So much love, overwhelming. It was so wonderful. And then a couple of weeks in, the crying started and I thought, this just feels familiar. So I didn't really worry about it. I just cried. (laughs) Like, look at my family. I love them so much. It just reminds me that scene from Raising Arizona. You know, the scene where um, Holly Hunter steals the baby and she just cries as soon as she gets him on her lap in her car. And she's like, I just love him so much. Just like instantly in that. And that love, spoiler, eventually gives her to give the baby back. Anyway, I digress, but I just felt like that, like instantly. And it felt so familiar. I didn't worry. And I just cried. But Christopher, my husband noticed, and he was a little worried and he was tried to help. And again, around nine or 10 months, I felt better. Now, I wish that this were the point in the story where I told you things went a little differently with the other three babies. And I'm trying to remember now, years later, why I didn't just get help. But I do remember saying something to my doctor about the baby blues, right? And, and oh, hey, I, I really want to watch out for this. And him saying something like, yeah, let's watch for it. And I'll put it in your chart. And I'll ask you about it at the follow-up appointments, which he did. And me somehow saying, yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. Like, why did I say that? I think I just knew that having a baby was a big transition. And I knew... I don't know, just to keep life and projects kind of simple. And I had other kids to worry about and it, quote, wasn't that bad, unquote, you know? And I thought, I'm tough and it'll just go away and you'll just cry. (laughs) When my fifth baby was about six months, I remember going to lunch with my sister and my sister-in-law, who's a pediatrician, and we're sort of catching up and she asks how I'm doing. And I say something like, well, I mean, I cry every day, but so does everyone else after they've had a baby. (laughs) Am I right? And she looked at me like a little lost puppy. I mean, her eyes got really wide. She put her hand on my shoulder and very tenderly looked in my eyes and said, no, no, not everyone cries every day, Lisa. And in that moment, I was so embarrassed and felt so seen, like exposed. I mean, you know, after you've had a baby and she said, no, yeah, no. And then we had a real conversation and we talked about really like postpartum. We talked about baby blues. We talked about specific things that could be done with medication or um, therapy or like lots of different options. You know, I, looking back, realized that 
part of my problem has been pushing through and I'm really good at it. When I should slow down and not talking about mental health without joking about it as a way to deal. And you know, let's be honest, I'm still working on that part. Now, my mom didn't have a problem with it and neither did my really close friends. So I just kept my head down and we're so much better at talking about it now. But I really think back to that time And I regret that I didn't talk to someone earlier or get on medication and not just push through like I did. I I do, I regret that. So now I look for it in other women after they've had a baby and I ask them how are they feeling or how their emotions and feelings are adjusting. I ask more questions and I offer unsolicited advice, which I know you're not supposed to do, but it's hard for me to not say something like, hey, How can I help you take care of yourself better during this time? And then I leave it, right? And I don't know. And I just, I hope it helps. I think of that time as unnecessarily tearful. Of course, it's not all ruined, right? I I was able to function. I, I loved my kids and, you know, I'm not afraid of complicated emotions and certainly not afraid to cry. And yes, crying and having a baby is typical, but baby blues or postpartum is not. And it's unnecessary exhaustion at a time when I should have been really taking better care of myself. I have since learned that it really does help to get regular sleep. But like most parents, I know that it's not like sleep suddenly gets easier once your kids get older. There's just different sort of sleep interruptions. Am I right? So I think about that time and that unnecessary exhaustion and think about that as a way of inspiring me to not repeat that and to take better care of myself now. With all of the different experiences that we have in mind, we know we need help. How do we really express that or get the best help possible? And what kind of options are there for us? Well, I reached out to my friend, marriage and family therapist, John Sovic, to hear what advice that he has. So John, a lot of people are stuck in the cycle of, I'm too busy right now. Like I know I need to, to get to therapy or meditation or something, but, but I, I, I can't handle one more thing on my plate, you know? And um, so how, how do you advise people to sort of get out of that cycle? Well, I think there's that amazing, um, I think it's a Zen cone, and it says if you don't have five minutes to meditate, that means you should be meditating for an hour. Yeah. And <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> what I love about that is people tend to make this whole idea of self-care so complex. Mm-hmm. Um, to meditate, I need to go to a silent retreat for a week and sit on a mountaintop and have no nothing around me. Um, to improve my diet, I need to go on this really radical, you know, program of what I will eat and what I won't eat. You know, to do my body, I need to be at the gym seven days a week. And that intensity, come on, nobody I, really wants to commit to that, okay? Well, Maybe it's so Chris easy Hemsworth, to fail. Yeah. just paid millions to be that way? Totally. But us mere mortals, come on, right? it's, not, it's really hard. So what do we do? For me, it's about simplicity. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a moment right now, my office looks towards the mountains here in Pasadena, and we've had some beautiful, beautiful sunsets. Yes, I'll give us sunsets too, not just sunrises. (laughs) Um, And there are moments this past week where I paused clients in sessions and said, I just need to pause this for a moment because you need to turn and just see this. 
And they turn around and they see it and their whole energy lifts because they see this beautiful thing. Guess what? That's part of this process we're talking about. It is about, you know, maybe when you go outside the building today, I know there are all those beautiful mountains that surround you in the valley there. How often do you miss them? You know, what about just looking up and seeing those mountains there? And when I finish my day at the office, I've told you nature is one of my like curatives. There are all these trees along the busy, busy blocks of Pasadena that when I go walk to my car at night, look, there are all these cool things still growing out here and it helps to reset me. And once again, it is about how we can apply these things simply into our life rather than feeling we have to go an 110% to be the most centered, the most perfect, Mm -hmm. the healthiest. Small steps make a big change. When people are sort of struggling and they're just saying, hey, I'm just going through a hard time and I just need to just relax there's sort of a tipping point sometimes that comes to say, okay, no, I need professional help now. How how do people sort of evaluate that for themselves? I would suggest for everyone who's with us today that rather than waiting to the point where you're there, it's really great to have a therapist you connect with on a regular basis. You know, I've had a relationship with my therapist for (laughs) over 20 years now. Now, it doesn't mean I see them every week. Mm-hmm. But what it does mean is that when something goes down, I'm like, "Ooh, this is a lot. I can call her up and say, can we schedule an appointment? And I can go in there. And she knows the history of who I am. And sometimes it's a one and done. It's like this. You're like, oh, you're right. I forgot about that thing. Or it's like, okay, we're going to do like six weeks. Or while this one's deeper, let's commit to a big amount of change here and go, 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 go for the six-month period. But this idea that we have to be broken before we seek help, I think that's a really big misconception in the work that we do. You know, why does our body have to go to a place where suddenly it's like rejecting food for us to pay attention to what we're eating? Mm. Why, you know, does our heart need to hurt so deeply that we turn to others for help? What if we made this part of a regular routine? that I do go online and I explore like meditation. There are a million beautiful apps out there that can help you start that process. Once again, from five minutes to 20 minutes, it's okay. It doesn't have to be on a mountaintop. (laughs) And that's that to me, I think, is the thing that we wait till we're quote unquote broken before we seek help. And I want to address that broken thing too, because a lot of people will come in and say, I just need you to help fix me. And my immediate reaction is, No, we're not here to fix you. We're here to see what's going on and how to get you back to your strength and your center. Because this fixing thing implies broken. And I think when we are we when we are outside of the like how everyone appears in the world with everybody smiles and all of that, (laughs) we start to think of ourselves as broken. And I just want to suggest maybe that's just being real. In my conversation with McKay, I kept thinking about what he had said about what has helped and that kind of source of hope that he's found in how he does it. I've kind of recently started seeing like my own therapists and getting a lot of different help with other things. And I think I'm, I've found that like 
what I do when I hit like that metaphorical kind of, I guess, cliff's edge is kind of a macabre way to refer to it. But mm-hmm. kind of like when you've climbed up there and you don't realize that you've hit that kind of critical mass of difficulty, like what the next step is, is kind of what difference like good therapy and, and help and like mental health resources makes. whether you take a step further into the kind of depths of that depression or anxiety or whatever it is maybe, um, or whether you turn towards like healthy coping mechanisms and kind of try and slowly work your way out. Um, And what I'm learning, which I'm still not good at, is how to turn that like next step into a habit. I think that's what like good therapy, good medication, good resources, good support systems will ideally ultimately do for me because I'm hearing about how it does this for other people is build that into just something that's automatic. So when you find yourself get to that place, it's not, you're not having to confront it all every single time. You know, you can just kind of build that habit of automatically turning towards the the path out of the cycle. Welcome to the Council of Moms. Today I have Rebecca. Oh, I'm Rebecca, um, the mother of seven children who have various levels of mental illness and special needs. So I spend most of my time um, managing that, but also trying to remember to do regular people stuff too. And also, um, my name is Ashley Reeves. I am also a mom of four. Um, I too are in middle school, the dreaded age that I actually don't think is that bad. Um, there's there's some doozers, doozies, but you know. And then I have two littles that are in fourth and first fourth and first grade too. And last but not least, <laughs> Gainalyn Condi. I am the mother of two. I have um, a lot of investment in the mental health conversations. My sister was 40, died by suicide eight years ago. I'm an author and show host and friend of the Lisa show. Thanks. Thanks Big for friend. being our friend. Well, friend I'm glad fan. that you guys are all here. The The part about the Council of Moms is to really talk about things that that matter in a real way. And so we, you're so generous for being here. And so I'm really glad to have that. And, and I want to talk really really honestly, and I've shared a little bit before we started rolling about mental health. And I just want to know what has been your experience with taking care of your mental health as part of taking care of yourself? I I think for me, you know, we had a family dynamic as I grew up where mental health needs were in your face. I think that's the nicest way to say. And it wasn't just with my sister who passed by suicide. Um, my mom's really open about her journey and a number of family members. And so I think in some ways it was before it's more normalized now, which I'm so grateful for. I've been full-time working at this conversation on a public level for the last eight plus years. But I would say growing up, I had a mom that made going to therapy normalized, but it felt also traumatic. And I, and I think in some ways it felt like the neighbors didn't know how hard it really was. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for social platforms, for programs, for resources, for show conversations like this, where I, I hope and pray always that there's a kid in a neighborhood where we think we're talking about it all the time, 
but they still haven't heard anyone talk about it at dinner or at school, that maybe they'll overhear this conversation and they'll feel like I feel as a almost 52-year-old woman that therapy and any tools we have for mental health is education. And no one should be embarrassed about more education. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's your why. So how did how, what does that look like in your everyday life? So how my do- toolbox changes all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a really big mental health toolbox. And for me, mental health is health. And we talk about health pretty easily on Instagram. And we're always telling each other what restaurants we like to go to. Are we making health conversations around our mental health just as normalized. And so for me, I'm always adding tools to the toolbox. For example, this week, I will go get a weekly massage. I deal with chronic illness. It's an absolute necessity. It is not an optional self-care tool for me. And for me, talk therapy used to be all we had. Now we have EMDR. We have light therapy. We have massage therapy. I think, you know, what is it called now? Forest bathing, where everyone is just (laughs) out in the trees, right? And so I would just say making for me the idea that that's an ongoing tool collection process means that there's days I'll be really transparent where I dig through the toolbox and nothing that was working last week is working. And that's when I do reach out to friends or I listen to a podcast or, you know, I call someone that I know in the past knows me well enough to call me on my stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, you know what, the tools aren't working. And so I would say stay open to an ongoing lifetime collection of mental health tools. That's what I've learned the most. And for my friends and family that really face some serious mental health stuff, they it, it can't be optional for them. And when they get discouraged, I know they reach out. And that's what I always invite is like whether you identify as someone that really struggles with mental health or you're a human being that has survived the pandemic, mm-hmm. it should kind of be intentional that you're always collecting because there's days where the stuff that worked last week just isn't working. So you're always moving. You're a mover and a shaker. (laughs) Ashley, what's been your mental health experience? So it's it's so interesting hearing her speak. I had a really similar experience growing up with my younger sister was extremely suicidal. She was in and out of mental hospitals and um, she was a, a resident at the hospital up the street and funny story, but also not so funny, but we like to laugh about it. My husband met my family in the mental hospital. <laughs> when we started dating, my sister was still there and we got that's to see her on Sundays. What, that's kind of great. Yeah. So we <laughs> laugh about it. Really she can great. laugh about it now. Um, I'm so sorry about your sister. I know how it really is like a whole family's um, struggle. So, somehow my sister is still here. It still is like a miracle to all of us. But it is more and more heartbreaking the older I get because I do feel really fortunate that I feel like because of the shifts we've had culturally, those conversations are more acceptable. And I don't think I've ever gone to a dinner with my girlfriends or someone hasn't brought up like, oh, this is a struggle I'm having with my own mental health or with my kids. Um, I have those conversations with my husband all the time too, because he's a, a vice principal at a high school. And so he deals with so much mental health issues with kids too. So I just feel like it is an ongoing conversation and I'm so grateful for that. But you can see sometimes people, it doesn't come as naturally to them to talk about it and they feel more alone. There's no one I think is a bigger liar than a first-time mom who says everything's okay. <laughs> this is great. I'm like, Shout out. no. Out. 
I remember like my oldest is almost 15 and it was like right at the height of like blogs. And I remember oh, scrolling the worst. and seeing pictures of people holding babies yeah. and being like, liars. <laughs> there is no way. Like I, I did not believe. And I just thought I had been duped into like the biggest <laughs> commercial like, fraud. Oh my gosh. And I was mad at everyone who had a baby and didn't warn me how awful it was. Like that was my depression manifested in severe anger. Oh. But <laughs> how did you get through it? I mean, I also wish I would have gotten help. I think time, um, I started to feel better. I think like, I, I don't know. I also look back at it like you were saying earlier, and I do wish I would have gotten some help. I think by the second kid, my funny story, my sister who had such bad depression issues for like 10 years, she was the one who called me out on it. Wow. Good she came job. over. And she was like, and she didn't even have kids at the time. And she was like, I think you have postpartum depression. I remember she brought stuff she'd printed off Google. And I was like, you don't know me. You're not in my head. <laughs> you don't know what this Back is like. Back off. And, but she saw it because she saw the signs. And that's been one cool thing about her healing, even though it wasn't a postpartum thing for her. She's one of the, my favorite people to talk to. And she checks in with herself a lot. And she is a mom now. She has two young kids. And it's been an ongoing conversation. But yeah, I do think it requires some level of vulnerability. But I think what we can do as I know the three of us, and I'm sure lots of people listening have had experiences where we know how important it is to have those conversations. So kind of like looking when you see people in groups of people who might be quieter or who it makes sense to you why they would be having a hard situation and just kind of asking them some questions that might make them feel safer. Because yeah, the ability to talk about it is huge because whatever your toolkit may be, you don't really know all the options until you can talk to people, right? Can I add a little bit on that? Is that for the sisters out there, like your sister and mine, Mm -hmm. that are like, it's never going to go away. I'm never going to get better. I love whether I'm on a show like this or speaking to say, you have no idea the muscles you're building Mm -hmm. that your, actually your share is exactly what happens is that it doesn't feel like you're growing any muscles when you're fighting so hard. Mm -hmm. But I promise to the listeners that are like, this is never going to change. I promise you there will be a day you will be sitting at that girl's lunch. You will have that neighbor or that friend. You will recognize it and you will be able to say to them, me too. And mm-hmm. I would just say if you need a reason why to keep trying to find healing and to find some hope, it's that you will be able to give it back one day. And then I would yeah. say too, don't assume you know. I think yes. so often, no, especially we think we know who the one at work, at church, at school, wherever we're at is struggling. And I would just say Robin Williams, no one, Kate Spade, right? No yeah. one thinks. No one made it, me more like punchy yeah. and yeah. angry. Yeah. When they said, it looks like you're doing really well. Oh my gosh. I just would like scream inside my head. I'm like, it it looks. And also, do you remember I'm an actor? Yeah. This is my specific skill set. Now, the other voice that sounds a little bit different because she's zooming in because she couldn't be here in person is Rebecca. We're sending so much love. I know. And so, Rebecca, I I want to know what your experience with mental health has been like. I have children who have significantly um, bigger struggles with mental illness than I do than mental health. And so I struggle so much to understand where my line needs to be in terms of who do I help. The one that's on fire is going to need my help, but it's the only childhood the rest of them get. And I can relate very much to the isolation. The big note I wrote was isolated. I'm so isolated as a mom and I can try and I can try to do things like go out to you know, dinners and all those things. But, you know, mental illness, it will suck all of this. Mental health stuff will suck all of the oxygen out of the room. And sometimes there's just nothing left. (laughs) 
You know what? I, I'm listening to all of you like trying to just not snot cry because I think <laughs> it's such a sacred space to hear each other's story and to mm-hmm. learn from each other's stewardships. And for those that know me know that that's kind of one of my biggest tools in my toolbox is seeing everything in my life as a stewardship. And when I do that, it takes me out of outcome thinking and comparisons. I go into it all the time where I'm in this ownership thinking of like, look at my neighbor's kids. They're all going to Harvard and they're all checking the boxes and, you know, they're physical bodies are working great and their marriages are checking these boxes and they seem to be in Hawaii every other weekend. What's that about? (laughs) You know, and I don't understand how the recipe for my cakes didn't turn out. Did I do baking soda instead of baking powder? Because I always get this confused as a mom, right? Like we, we can go into that outcome thinking, but when I'm sitting in a conversation like this, I know it doesn't make the yuck less yuck. I think it just puts to me like, I just posted this on social media. If the beauty of life is the messy and the brilliant, then why isn't that the beauty of us? Uh Like that's what I'm hearing is that we want all the sparkle and the beauty, but the reality is there's another side of that coin. And the other side of that coin is private hell and heart hard stuff and and being like Rebecca said in the Mm -hmm. weeds and having it be chronic, you know, like it's not a movie or a Netflix binge watch where it's like, this is the end of the story. And if we knew that we would get through it. I think it's, this is, this is the magic sauce of life. If Mm -hmm. having other women in your life that are willing to hold space for the really hard days and the conversations and still turn you back to yourself in your best version of yourself, even though that's not how you're showing up and DoorDash you cheese and bread, which solves everything in a Diet Coke. Hello. It's all you. (laughs) Yeah. Now, this has been a really serious topic, but it's one that I feel we should be having a lot more often. And we knew that here on The Lisa Show, we couldn't talk about self-care without talking about mental health. And something that I continually come back to that has helped me deal with my mental health in a more proactive way is just helping my kids and seeing my kids struggle with different mental health issues over the years and just the huge desire that I have to help them and how much I love them and how much it it just brings out that love um, and how I want them to get help and to to get better and to have strong mental health. And really, I would do anything for them to do that and have gone to great lengths to make sure that they're okay. And it makes me, it's made me take a step back and feel that this is, that I'm worth that kind of um, care and attention as well. And that this must be, you know, a similar way to how my heavenly parents feel about me and in wanting me to be healthy and wanting me to get help and find support and have a strong mental health, just like, you know, I can have a strong physical health, that those things are connected in a powerful way that has meaning. That deeper level has been very significant for me because it's made me, I don't know, maybe just have a little bit more of a permission to do something and ask for help and be more proactive when 
I think before I would say, oh no, I've got it. I've got it covered. I'll just do it myself. I would never want that for my kids. And I'm so happy when they come to me and ask me or when close friends do as well. And I feel so honored. And then we're able to actually find solutions and help. And that's how it works. And that's been a powerful lesson for me. So I hope that you will, if you're listening, no matter what you know level you feel on severity of mental health and how that's doing as you take care of yourself, that you will feel that 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 love that heavenly parents have for you, but also that that those around you have for you, that that you are worth it, that you have this value to do it, and that you would help anyone that you love in this situation. So why not let them help you? Please remember that mental illness can be serious and life-threatening, and there's no shame in getting help. And you can find links to support groups in your area in our show notes. And if you're ever in a crisis, you can call 988 from anywhere in the country, and there will be someone to talk to. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden and Becca Hurley with help from Tabitha Freitas. Music and post production was done by Sam Clausen with help from Christian Makoto. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and be sure to reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. 